0: Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a Mai Tai. What about you, Dell?
1: I am drinking a Bahama Mama, and on this week's episode, we will be diving in to one of the most infamous music festivals. That is, of course, Fire Festival. Fire Festival left people expecting the greatest time of their lives, but they arrived at the reality of cold sandwiches and tents that the promoters brought from a thrift store. The Fire Festival was organized by Billy McFarlane and Jaw Roll to promote their new music booking app, Fire. The festival was scheduled to take place on April 28th to April 30th and May 5th to May 7th, 2017. During a flight to the Bahamas, McFarlane and Ja Rule's private plane touched down on a lightly populated island, which they later discovered was Norman's Cay. McFarlane then leased the island from the current owners, with the owners giving the strict condition that McFarlane make no reference to Pablo Escobar in any marketing materials. Promotional footage with hired supermodels was shot on Norman's Cay, and planning for the festival went ahead. On December 12, 2016, Emily Ratajkowski, Kendall Jenner, and other influencers paid by fire simultaneously posted to their Instagram feeds a video with a thumbnail consisting of an orange square and a logo made of stylized flames. Many of the models drew criticism that they did not disclose that they were paid for posting and had not been scheduled to be at the festival. Another video showed Bella Hadid and other models represented by her agency running around a tropical beach. Text with the video promised, quote, an immersive musical festival, two transformative weekends on the boundaries of the impossible, end quote. This was at the beginning of the Fire Festival's promotional campaign, during which McFarlane himself claimed that the island had been owned by Pablo Escobar. The owners canceled their arrangement with McFarland soon after. With only two months to go, McFarlane was granted a permit for Roker Island. Materials released on social media continued to promote the falsehood that the festival would be hosted on Pablo Escobar's private island with maps of the site altered to make it appear as if broker point was an island unto itself in reality the festival was in a remote parking lot north of the sandals resort and a nearby marina furthermore great exuma was not a private or remote island instead the festival was scheduled to take place in an abandoned resort development McFarland never announced the change. He simply renamed the island Fire K. With no infrastructure and no villas, the team had just under two months to turn Roker Point into Fire K.
0: An investor, fashion executive Carol LeJane, reportedly arranged for Fire to receive a $4 million loan, most of which was spent renting luxurious offices in Manhattan. With no experience staging an event of the proposed festival scale, McFarland began approaching companies that did, and was reportedly taken aback when informed that the event would cost at least $50 million to stage in the time available as he had promised. Furthermore, the more experienced consultants told them that in addition to the cost, an event of this magnitude would have needed an extra year to plan. He and his associates at FIRE believed it would cost far less and continued with their plans under that assumption. The organizers tried to do things themselves where possible. McFarland supposedly learned how to rent the stage by doing a Google search. In the days leading up to the festival, they started cutting expenses. They found out that villas could cost $10 million each and focused instead on paying for deposits for bands, food, infrastructure, and staff. Scheduled for two weekends in April and May 2017, the event sold day tickets from $500 US dollars to $1,500 and VIP packages, including airfare and luxury tent accommodations for $12,000. Customers were promised accommodation in, quote, modern eco-friendly domes and meals from celebrity chefs, end quote. The final advertised lineup was for 33 artists, including Pusha T, Tyga, Designer, Blink-182, Major Lazer, Migos, Ray Schremerd, Catrata, Lil Yachty, Matoma, Klingand, Skepta, Claptone, Le Youth, Ten Snake. Blondish and Lee Burridge. In the days leading up to the festival, all of the aforementioned acts pulled out, with Major Laser never confirming their attendance despite being advertised. To make matters worse, organizers of the Fire Festival planned their first event for April 28th to the 30th, the same weekend as the Exuma Regatta, a Bahamian sailing race series that utilized most of the island's hotels, vacation rentals, and resources. On the mainland, 5,000 tickets had been sold, and an air service was hired to charter festival goers from Miami. A medical services company and caterer were also hired, but later withdrew a few weeks before the festival. With only two weeks to go, a new catering service with a $1 million total budget was hired, drastically reduced from the $6 million originally allocated to provide for what was promised as, quote, uniquely authentic island cuisine. Local seafood, Bahamian style sushi, and even a pig roast. In March 2017, Fire also hired a veteran event producer, Yaron Lavi, who saw that it was impossible to hold the sort of event McFarlane and Jarrell envisioned at the site. He assumed they would postpone the event to November as they had been discussing since they were not ready. However, when Fire told him they would stage the event in the spring anyway, Lavi told them to abandon plans for temporary villas and instead erect tents, the only accommodation that could be delivered in the time remaining. Lavi advised FIRE to make this clear to those who had already bought tickets, as otherwise it would be damaging to their brand. He says the company assured him that an email was being prepared, but he was not sure if it was sent.
1: In order to raise quick cash for the event and with under two weeks to go before the inaugural event, Fire informed ticket holders that the event would now be, quote, cashless and cardless, end quote, and encouraged attendees to put up thousands of dollars in advance on a digital fire ban to cover purchases at the festival, according to one lawsuit. Each attendee would be issued an RFID-equipped smartwatch like id to use during the festival this was despite warnings that such digital bracelets would be useless because of the poor wi-fi connection at the site mcfarland who signed the email suggested that attendees deposit 300 to 500 us dollars for every day they plan to attend festival goers put about two million dollars on these bracelets McFarlane allegedly used these funds to repay loans he had taken out. Early in the morning on April 27th, heavy rain fell on Great Exuma, soaking the open tents and mattresses piled out in the open air for guest arrivals later that day. The first flights from Miami International Airport to Exuma International Airport, operated by Swift Air and Extra Airways, landed at 6:20 a.m initial arrivals were brought to an impromptu beach party at a beachside restaurant where they were plied with alcohol and kept waiting for around six hours while preparations at the festival site continued mcfarland had hired hundreds of local workers to help build the site meanwhile organizers had to renegotiate the guarantees they offered to the people who would be playing at the festival as costs spiraled out of control. Later arrivals were taken directly to the grounds by school bus, where the true state of the festival's site became apparent. Their accommodations were little more than scattered disaster relief tents with dirt floors, some with mattresses that were soaking wet as a result of the morning rain. The promised gourmet food accommodations were instead nothing more than inadequate and poor quality food, including cheese sandwiches served in foam containers.
0: Festival goers were dropped off at the production bungalow where McFarlane and his team were based so they could be registered. But after hours of waiting in vain, people rushed to claim their own tents. Although there were only about 500 people, there were not enough tents and beds for the guests, so they wound up stealing from others. Attendees were unable to leave the festival for the nearby Sandals resorts as it was peak season. Around nightfall, a group of local musicians took to the stage and played for a few hours, the only act to perform at the event. In the early morning, it was announced that the festival would be postponed and that the attendees would be returned to Miami as soon as possible. Reports from the festival mentioned various other problems, such as the mishandling or theft of guest baggage no lighting to help people find their way around, an unfinished gravel lot, a lack of medical personnel or event staff, no cell phone or internet service, portable toilets, no running water, and heavy-handed security. These problems were exacerbated as the festival had been promoted as a cashless event, leaving many attendees without money for taxi fare or other expenses. Many attendees were reportedly stranded as flights to and from the island were canceled after the Bahamian government issued an order that barred any planes from landing at the airport. The first flight back to Miami boarded at 1.30 a.m. on April 28th, but was delayed for hours due to issue with the flight's manifest. It was canceled after sunrise and passengers were locked in the Exuma airport terminal with no access to food, water, or air conditioning. A passenger recalled that at least one person passed out from the heat and had to be hospitalized.
1: The flight eventually left Exuma later that morning and more charter flights to Miami departed from Exuma throughout the day. One passenger who was stuck in Miami reported that the pilot of their airplane had told them to get off so that they could turn the plane around for immediate departure as they were now serving as a rescue aircraft to get attendees off Great Exuma Island. The Bahamas Ministry of Tourism apologized on behalf of the nation And denied having any responsibility for how the events unfolded. The workers who constructed the site and the restaurant that provided meals for festival staff were never paid, leading to the restaurant owner appealing for assistance on the crowdfunding platform GoFundMe. As a result of the festival, McFarland and Ja Rule are the subject of a $100 million lawsuit in the state of California, with Ja Rule later being dismissed from the lawsuit by the judge in July of 2019. It was filed on behalf of plaintiff Daniel Jung by entertainment lawyer Mark Garagos, who is seeking class action status for the lawsuit with more than 150 plaintiffs. Jung's lawsuit alleges fraud, breach of contract, and negligent misrepresentation. This was the first of eight lawsuits that were filed in various parts of the United States over the fire festival. One in North Carolina awarded over $5 million to the plaintiffs. Ja Rule was dismissed as a party on most of these lawsuits and later claimed he was in fact defrauded by McFarland. So Jenny, what do you think of the mess? that was fire festival oh
0: man I don't even know where to begin I feel like reading this back I do feel worse for the attendees than I originally did because so many of them I feel like at the beginning came off as spoiled brats but when you think about it there was mass chaos going on where they were and I do think some of that was caused by the attendees because they were drunk and they kind of like, went crazy and destroyed tents on the first night they were there. There was, like, no running water, no cell phone service. Like, that's so scary to just be stranded. However, those pictures of the cheese sandwiches were so funny. When I first saw them, they had me dying. But at the same time, they were defrauded and misrepresented. You know, none of the people there thought that the event was going to end up like that and it was going to become such a joke. I can't believe some people spent up to $12,000 to get a villa and just thousands of dollars on tickets alone. Like, that is just, like, (laughs) I can't comprehend spending that much on a music festival. I don't know. I'm a music person, but I wouldn't spend that much. It's clear that Billy McFarlane was really... Just kind of selling a fantasy, and I know that it is part of the experience, but it wasn't real, especially with the models, and I know that there's a lot of controversy. I don't really think the models should get into any kind of trouble. I feel like they didn't really understand what they were getting into. I don't think they really had to come outright and say, like, oh, I'm promoting this event, but I'm not going to be there. Like, I think that's up to the person looking at these posts to interpret to think whether or not this person's going to be there. They never outright explicitly said that. But it is really interesting, I think, to see what happens when you sell a fantasy. And I feel like all these fantasies are very similar. Like perfume commercials are very notorious, I think, in selling you some otherworldly fantasy and experience and lifestyle. If you wear this, you're going to be like a chick magnet. Or if you wear this, you're going to ride a horse through the streets of Los Angeles like that Zendaya perfume commercial if anyone knows what I'm talking about and I feel like fire was very similar you're gonna be on this Bahamian island with all these sexy beautiful models around you just living it up with all the other influencers and rich people and I know we're going to talk about influencer and celebrity culture a little later. I don't understand influencer culture, and I don't really like it. I know that Dell and I have said many times that we love celebrity culture of the 2000s, and there's nothing really like it nowadays, but that's kind of where I draw the line. Like As an adult now, I could really give a shit what any of these people are doing. I don't know if celebrities necessarily inspire me to purchase things. Maybe, you know, subconsciously it works on me somehow, but... I would like to think of myself as an educated person that thinks some of these things through before just going and buying a $5,000 ticket to a music festival just because some beautiful woman or man told me to do it. And I also wanted to say Billy is going to keep doing this because after all of the scandal with Fire Festival, he was found to be defrauding people again. With, I think it was a credit card or an exclusive club in New York that was linked to a credit card. And again, he went after kind of the same people, millennials that are either influencers or wealthy. And he scammed them once again. And Billy is in jail. I'm not sure how long his sentence is, but I really think he's going to keep doing stuff like this. I feel like he's going to be like the Bernie Madoff of our generation, frankly. What are your thoughts on this hot mess of an event?
1: Yeah, that is definitely one way to put it. The fire Festival was the hot mess of all hot messes. And I agree with you that once Billy gets released from prison, his sentence was only six years. So I think once he gets released, he's going to find another way to scam people. I think that the fact that he's had so many lawsuits I mean, he's had to pay out millions of dollars. New information is coming out on another lawsuit that was settled. This was the Garagos lawsuit where each of the recipients are going to receive over $7,000. That's a lot of money when this is representing over 275 people that you have to pay $7,000 to. Like, where are you getting that money? Has he ever legitimately gained access to a great number of funds? I don't think so. I've never seen anything in his background that would lead me to think that all of a sudden he's gonna get out of jail and realize that, you know what, Fire Festival was a bad idea. I should have listened to all of the consultants telling me that it was gonna be fifty million dollars in another year instead of just finding the consultant that was gonna kiss my ass and tell me that, oh no, no, don't buy the villas. Tents are okay. You know, people paid twelve thousand dollars but they'll sleep in a tent outside on a shitty beach that'd be all good with them why would you even think that that was okay and I also feel bad for the attendees that is a lot of money and you have to think of all the other things that went into them getting ready for this festival they probably took time off from their jobs. they probably arranged things other things to happen so that they could be away for this amount of time so you don't get that back. Don't get the experience that you expected. And then you have all this stuff set up at home for you not to be there. And then the sad part is you having to go back. And of course, you know, like when you're planning a vacation, you're telling people about it. And now other people are coming up to you like, hey, how was that vacation? How was the Bahamas? And you have to sit there and tell a bunch of people, well, actually, it was nothing. I got a cheese sandwich and a wet mattress. That's what I got from that vacation. That freaking sucks.
0: Like I could only imagine. That's a good point too. I didn't think about that, you know, embarrassment of having to be like, well, wasn't really what I thought it was going to be. And I'm curious to know what the attendees like think of it now. Like if they're embarrassed, are they like kind of traumatized somehow? Or is it something they can just laugh about?
1: Right? Yeah. And I bet as time goes on, it'll become, you know, less of a thing. But that initial barrage of sorts of people asking you, how was your vacation? And you not being able to come up with one good thing, you know, that really sucks. I will definitely say that I'm not as forgiven um, of the influencers and their role in this. Because I think that anytime you're promoting something, you should say that you're being paid to promote it because I think that makes a really big difference in someone's interpretation of a post. You know, if I see someone... Who loves a product and they're not getting paid for it, they're just telling me that they love that product and they've re it three times, that definitely does say like, oh, okay, you know, I have similar needs, maybe I should give this product a try if I'm in the market for it and it's really good, versus if someone told me that they received this product in PR or they are getting paid to post about this product, I'm going to look like, hmm, do you really like that product? Or are you saying what you're being paid to say? Which is fine, you know. I definitely encourage people, any way you can make money, as long as it's legal, go ahead and make your money. I know someone like Kylie Jenner gets about $500,000 for an Instagram post to promote a product. So go ahead, make your money. But you have to tell people. And if it's an event like this and you're promoting it, I think it's very strange that you would promote an event that you're not going to be attending. That sparks more questions for me about the event and why you're not attending it.
0: I do agree that they should have at least admitted that they were uh, getting paid to promote it. Because I know when I am on YouTube, Dell and I are makeup fans. When I see someone that was paid to promote a product, I kind of don't really want to watch that video and hear what they have to say about it. It just seems a little disingenuous to me. And then that's a whole other story about who's genuine, who's not. What do we like about these influencers anymore?
1: Right. It's a thing of money definitely influences people and it influences how you feel about something. So if you're getting paid to feel a certain way, then I'm skeptical about, are you omitting certain information? That happens a lot of times in makeup where, let's say the product is good, but it doesn't have a good shade range and you omit that information. Well, to me, the only reason why you're omitting that very important information is because you know that it would shine a negative light on the product that you're being paid to promote. We both agree, Fire Festival was a mess, and Hulu and Netflix decided to both make documentaries about Fire Festival. Both of them went over the same information that we included, but they really took a different approach to how they presented the information. Netflix was a lot more somber, a lot more, for me, compelling because They told the story of the struggle that the attendees went through and that the people on the island went through, especially considering a lot of them used their own resources to try to make things happen and they were never compensated for it by the organizers of the fire festival.
0: The Netflix documentary is the only one I've seen. So, um, honestly, most of my information about Fire Festival is from the Netflix documentary, and that is really what stuck out to me hearing the people from the island talk about how they were kind of like branded as bad people because they were connected to fire even though they were taken advantage of and screwed over just as much as anybody else if not more really
1: I definitely agree with you I watched both of them but I definitely prefer the Netflix one Because I felt like Hulu sensationalized it a bit more and they were trying to be more scandalous. They had a more upbeat tone. And while I understand why you would want to try to make it a bit more upbeat, I feel like in doing that, they ignored the real problems that were caused by the mismanagement of the fire Festival. I wanted to highlight one thing from the Netflix documentary that was really weird. So... Fire included the concerning story that McFarlane asked event producer Andy King to give a customs agent a blowjob so that they could gain access to a shipment of bottled water. This was one of the weirdest things that I think I've ever seen in a documentary and the guy was basically like yeah I was ready to do it. I was gonna blow anybody so that we can get some water to the festival and I'm like Why are you so
0: dedicated to this?
1: Like, I understand being dedicated to your job, but that is on such an
0: asinine level. Yes, I think if anyone remembers anything from that documentary, it's this part. I felt the same way, Del, because everyone knew that the event was going to be a disaster and blow up in everyone's faces. But so many people supported Billy along the way. And I don't understand that. And especially this guy, he was so ready and willing to do this. And it was to the point where he said that he like brushed his teeth, used some mouthwash and went to meet with the customs agent. And the customs agent was like, no, you don't need to do that. But the fact that he was so willing is so bizarre to me. I'm thinking of it from my point of view, which I will say it's probably a different point of view if a man is telling a woman to go and blow someone for help, essentially. But, you know, the minute he would have asked me that, I would have said, like, get the hell out of here. I'm leaving. Like, go fend for yourself. Go get that water yourself. But I also don't think I would have gone along with it that far.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think that one of the things that stuck out was that it seemed like Billy could do no wrong until he did everything wrong and it was so abundantly obvious that people couldn't lie to themselves anymore. While Fire Fraud did not include that detail, they did have an exclusive interview with Billy McFarlane. Hulu's Fire Fraud included other details that we wanted to share with you. So they included input from a journalist, Ava Turnquest, who gives more context on the colonialist attitudes that made McFarland and organizers treat the area and the local community like its pawns. Only fire fraud highlights the extensive background role, social media marketing company Jerry Media, mostly known as Fuck Jerry, had in promoting the festival and explicitly reveals in the end that FIRE was made in partnership with Fuck Jerry, whose actions are identified in a class action lawsuit against Ja Rule and McFarland. They were not charged ultimately because it was determined that their actions were done at the behest of their
0: Fuck Jerry has since faced its own controversy, I believe, a few years after Fire Festival. They were accused of stealing jokes from comedians and posting it as their own content on social media. And the founder apologized and said that they were going to give credit where credit was due. One
1: thing that was curious about Fraud was that it omitted the details included in Netflix's Fire that the festival got kicked off of Pablo Escobar's Island because the owner asked them not to market it with the drug lord's name. When fire fraud hit Hulu, Netflix's fire director Chris Smith told The Ringer that fire fraud directors Jenna Fruss and Julia Willoughby-Nason had paid McFarland for an interview, which McFarland used as leverage to try to jockey for a higher rate from Smith for his documentary. Smith rejected the offers. The directors did admit to paying McFarlane, though an exact amount is still in dispute. So at the heart of a lot of people's fascination with the fire Festival is the fact that these people were going for this elaborate and extravagant experience. And one of the things that caused them to believe in it was who was promoting it and the fact that people always have a desire to be rich and famous and or to have a connection to people who are rich and famous. One of the ways this manifests is in people seeking their 15 minutes of fame and this is a short list celebrity of an individual or phenomenon. This expression was inspired by Andy Warhol's words, quote, in the future everyone will be world famous for 15 minutes in quote which appeared in the program for a 1968 exhibition of his work this is similar to one hit wonders in music jenny what do you think you would do for your 15 minutes of fame if everyone gets at least one
0: i don't know why this comes to mind but do you remember the chewbacca lady a few years ago She had that Chewbacca mask and she filmed herself trying it on and laughing and it went viral. I would just want to do something like silly like that that just makes people smile. I don't want to do like anything scandalous. I used to want to be famous as a kid like I'm sure most people did, but it's so much work. And we talked about Britney Spears and how like the public and the paparazzi just will not leave you alone. I'm okay. Like I'll leave it at the 15 minutes. But then that's also like easy to say because once you get a taste, so many people just, you know, want to keep coming back for more. But yeah, I would just want to do something, a random act of kindness that people were inspired by or something like that. I'm interested to hear what you have to say.
1: Honestly, like you said, everyone dreams of being famous, but I don't think they actually think about what they would do for it. But I'm with you where I wouldn't want something where I'm doing something and putting myself out there too much. But I love debate and I love watching the, you know, People Got Owned series. So I would love for my 15 minutes of fame to be centered around me owning someone in debate, like me coming up with the most clever comeback that everyone means and I become like meme famous. I think that would be fun because it's something that not harmful showing my wittiness and the fact that I'm a debate lord I think that would be fun and you know not super harmful except to the ego of the person that is now going to be 15 minutes of fame famous for being owned in a debate but hey there's some winners some losers in the 15 minutes of fame contest
0: who would you want to debate if you could debate and own anyone
1: if I could debate or own oh my gosh if I could debate and own anyone, who would it be? That is a hard one because there's a couple people that I love watching them debate. Ben Shapiro definitely comes to mind. I would love to debate him. And like, I've watched so much of his videos. I would just spend hours trying to analyze, okay, he's going to say this and I'm going to have this really witty comeback and he's not going to be able to answer because he's never gone into a full explanation on his show. So I think Ben Shapiro definitely comes to mind first, especially since a lot of the like political type on videos are Ben Shapiro destroying people. So it would be nice to give him a taste of his own medicine in a way. Many people achieve or try to expand their 15 minutes of fame by joining a reality television show. These shows are known for showcasing outlandish behaviors and portraying people in a very negative light. Arguing and fighting are commonplace and the show is usually built around conflict. In all honesty, I love reality TV. I'm someone that consumes probably too much of it and I've been watching it for a very long time. I would say that my favorite reality TV show is probably the challenge. Definitely up there because I was a real world kid. Also, vh one reality shows also are in my heart. The Surreal Life, Rockola, Flavor of Love, I Love New York, you know, down to their more recent ones, basketball wise, black ink crew, love and hip hop. I love all of it. I think that reality TV, while it is messy it's definitely something that you can get behind, even if it's something like the Bad Girls Club, where you're like, okay, this is just going to be fighting and screaming nonstop, but for some reason, I cannot look away from it.
0: I'm right there with you with those old school VH1 reality TV shows. They were like everything to me and my friends back then. And even now in college, my friends and I would talk about those and just reminisce. We always said we were going to have a marathon and rewatch some of the trash from back then Um, my favorite reality show now is definitely RuPaul's Drag Race I also loved America's Next Top Model and I used to of course watch Big Brother and The Amazing Race and Survivor which I feel like if you're gonna say like what's the best reality show I feel like The Amazing Race is probably the best just because I feel like it has a little more to offer than your average reality show, what people would think of, at least. I don't watch too much reality TV now, but I don't think there's anything wrong with watching, and I feel like a lot of people want to talk about how terrible it is, which, I mean, it's true, and it's cheap for these networks to make, but I think it is kind of a nice escape for a lot of people. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about the fire Festival make sure you click the subscribe button. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube every Wednesday with a new episode. Follow us on Instagram at Crime Corruption Cocktails and on Twitter at Charade Inc. Please consider donating to our Patreon. This will help us get better equipment and bring higher quality content to you. We appreciate any amount you can give. This is Jenny and Dell signing off. Stay safe.